You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If I told you you were going to have to engage in a bare knuckle brawl with two brothers who are roughly seven feet tall, 270 pounds. All right. One's only six, six. I'm sorry. The smaller <laughs> one is six, six. And the other one is six eleven. You got to take on those two guys. And your other option, uh, uh, if not to fight the two seven-foot dudes, whose names I'm not even going to try to pronounce, and I apologize for that, but it's not going to it's not going to be good, Nemanja and Strahinja. I just tried after I said I wouldn't. Uh, or the Morris brothers, who have single-handedly fought an entire football team by themselves, just the two of them. Who you got? Uh, whose side do you want to be on? Because you're going to have to start picking soon, members of the NBA, perhaps even media, because you might be too close by to avoid it, because this fight is happening. It's happening. It's scheduled. We know the dates already. And we're going to have to pick a side. So are you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, the Morris brothers versus the Jokic brothers, and that doesn't even include the MVP. That's the other two brothers that are involved here. After, of course, the melee that went down during the game the other night, resulting in Nikola Jokic's suspension of one game, Markeith Morris fined, Jimmy Butler fined. Fitz, this got pretty ugly, and I'm actually surprised to hear that we will only be without Jokic as fans, and and the Nuggets will only be without him for one game after what we saw. And I wonder if there had been more of an injury to Morris, if this would have been a longer suspension. First and foremost, the suspension is soft. But before we even get to that, I mean, I think the best thing to do is call them the Yobros, like the Jokic the brothers. Yo Bros. Yobros. Like, I like that. And then, you know, if you want, if we really want to go and full. And the Mobros? You know, right. Yo, Yobros, Mobros, let's go. <laughs> okay, got I got like, Who this is got? now UFC, <laughs> UFC 973. It's going to be Yobros versus Mobros. And uh, I'm, all my money, look, I can't, I can't go against Twin Towers of that size, right? The Jokic brothers are so large. I just feel like. That's where it goes. When it comes to the suspension, one game to me is soft on it. And at the end of the day, Jokic, while I, I understand, you know, everybody wants to, it feels like sometimes he doesn't get the same level of critique. The more I watch the the foul itself, the charge he takes up to get to him, the way he lowers his shoulder and brings his shoulder and arm into it, I don't care what you did at that point. You went after somebody that wasn't facing you at that point. So the minute you went after him and he wasn't facing you, it has to be more than one game to me. To me, that was the sort of thing that results in a 10-game suspension, and then we start to have a conversation from there. Like, one game to me just sort of says, hey, we'd really appreciate it if you don't do it again. And this is going to get heated when they play again. Speaking of uh, weird cards, uh, did you know that the ex-Nets player Darren Williams is fighting ex-Jet running back Frank Gore on the Jake Paul undercard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just in case, as we are coming up with ridiculous scenarios for fights, that one actually is happening. Uh, Whether the Yobros and the Mobros. I'll call that the I blew my money fight because that's the only way I can figure out why they were getting there. Especially Frank Gore. Hey, guys, I'm broke. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All right. Yobro and Mobros are going to fight at some point, but we are still sort of sifting through the – the outcome of this exchange. And to your point, obviously, Morris starts it by sort of the the, the over-exaggerated foul on on Jokic, but it's not something we don't see in games, right? It's the kind of it's the kind of play you see in a basketball game. Maybe you could have gone for a flagrant there, but it wasn't anything too egregious. But he turned away, and in turning away, 
that meant that when Jokic came after him, it was a full body, seven feet, 270 pounds or whatever he is, into his back. And and he eventually uh, was able to walk off of his own accord. You know, they were bringing out wheelchairs and stretchers and whatever else, and, and he didn't want it. Um, and I think that, to me, was partly why I thought that more would happen from this. But I'm more alone in this than I expected. I heard a lot of people today saying that they thought the league got it right, including most of the desk of, of Inside the NBA on TNT tonight. You're saying they both, should they both be suspended? One game, yes. Yes, probably one game. I agree. Because of the, because of the, because of the letter of the law of the NBA, but I like what the Joker But did. if there wasn't a letter of the law, you're okay with what, with what Joker did? Wait, hold on, oh, what no, did Joker no, no, do? No, I'm just saying, what did Joker do? Hold on, catch up. Gave him a shot in the back and whiplashed him. No, no, whoa, whoa, hold on, Ernie, Ernie. Did, did he not? Get him, Shaq. Ernie. Did he not? Ernie. It's called retaliation. And yes, it is. First of all, when you hit me, don't turn around. Don't turn around, Brad Miller, because I'm swinging. Don't, <laughs> you do not turn around. You're either going to take it in the front or take it in the back. As a big guy, when, when a little guy hits you, you got to touch him on the back. I have no problem with what the Joker did. I actually like it as a big guy. You got these guys fouling you, hanging on. He hit him. Unintentional, I mean, intentional, unnecessary roughness. So what do you do as a big guy? You go hit him back. When you hit me, don't turn your head because it's coming. You're either going to get in the front or you're either going to get in the back. <laughs> was, was, was that a dangerous no, and dirty play as Eric's No, Eric Spolster is just wrong. He's just offending this guy. Interesting Man. take. And I think that that's what you get when you hear from former players as opposed to, you know, the gas bag media. They're like, hey, we're cool with it. He had to get his. I, so uh, I'll tell you a story, Sarah. Nobody asked for this story, but I'm going to give you a story from my childhood. Okay. My brother, uh, who's about four and a half years older than I am, and uh, we had a pretty violent relationship as kids. And when I was very, very little, uh, Dustin used to, every once in a while, he would hit me, right? And like, that was fair. We fought all the time. Well, I figured it out when I was really little that I could take back when those Tonka trucks were made of metal, you know, and they were big. I would come in and I would whack Dustin over the head with my Tonka truck. And then I'd go running and crying to my mom. Uh, you know, that he hit me, and that way he would get his puppy. I did this for a long time, and Dustin would always tell my mom, no, no, he hit me while I wasn't looking with the truck, and my mom just didn't believe it. One day she's sitting in the other room. She looks, she sees the mirror. She watches it all go down as I take the Tonka truck, and I just whack my brother over the head. At that point, my brother just, he came in, and my mom's like, I saw it. Have at him. He earned it. I understand the hurt. he earned it logic, but at the end of the day, you have to worry about the precedent that you set with he earned it because now what are we going to say? Okay, if retaliation's cool, the next time they play, then we just we don't have a problem with retaliation continuing because that's the right. cycle you start through all of it. The minute you start to say, okay, well, you know what? He just had it coming because you you foul somebody that hard and you turn around, you're going to get what you get. No, that that's that's a different mindset. But, but and I it think the NBA work. is the NBA is saying it does matter. We suspended you. And other people got fined for being involved. I guess the question is, is one game send enough of a message? And then how do you not look suspect if the next time something similar happens, you try to punish even further, right? I did hear people talk about, like, does it matter that he's the MVP? Does it matter, you know, his reputation versus somebody else doing this? It's tough to say. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. What is going to lead to further conversation on this is the response from the aforementioned Yo Bros and Mo Bros. Because the Jokic brothers created a Twitter account with the express intent to message the Morrises. And the, the first message was um, to, of course, Marcus Morris, Markeith's brother. You should leave this the way it is instead of publicly threatening our brother. Your brother made a dirty play first. If you want to make a step further, be sure we will be waiting for you. 
Jokic brothers, who, by the way, did just create a Twitter account so they didn't know yet that they don't have to sign every tweet, because uh, they did. <laughs> and then Marcus Morris, of course, had started that by saying, waited till Brone turned his back, SMH noted with the hand emoji writing. So that's what they were responding to is, you know, you better just not even get into this. So Marcus Morris responds back with, you got the right ones, believe that. And as I mentioned before, the Morris brothers by themselves, the pair of them, took out a whole football team in college. So you got the right ones is right. And the Jokic brothers, perhaps not understanding that phrase, said, I don't believe. I know that. Which I don't think is the response that they were looking for. Um, I'm feeling so, worse and worse about my pick of the Obros in this fight yeah. because they are handling every portion of the mic. No. That, like Part of the no, fight no. is the in mic fight, build up. They're yeah, blowing the, it off. The trash talk portion they're definitely going to lose at the intimidation portion i think they're pretty good at just strong silent gigantic um interestingly though a source has already confirmed that the Jokic brothers the yobros have already purchased tickets to the upcoming nuggets game in miami and they will be there so we will be following along with this yobro mobro uh, engagement, and you can let us know whose side you're on. You could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with fans built by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Tell us who you got, the Mo Bros or the Yo Bros. Also, we got some good hoops on tonight. We got two seven and three teams in the Mavs and the Bulls. Uh, we got the Heat and the Lakers. We're going to get into some of that a little later in the show. The actual hoops. Uh, but we got to talk fights first, of course. Coming up, so much to say about last night's CFP rankings. I get the feeling Fitz is going to go off. So gird your loins. It's coming up. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I've been lucky enough to host Rankings Reaction with Mike Golick Jr. and Christine Williamson now for five years, reacting every week to the college football playoff rankings. Last night was the first time I genuinely had to think about what I was saying to make sure that I didn't alienate the college football playoff committee in the process of reacting to what I think at the end of the day is just absolutely inexplicable with their with their rankings that, that came out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Rankings reaction brought to you by Wendy's. Wendy's is a delight right now. Wendy's, try their brand new <laughs> fries for yourself with fries that are guaranteed to be hot and crispy or they'll replace them at participating U.S. Wendy's. I needed like to stress eat some Wendy's last night, Sarah, because I was flat out mad at the rankings when they came out. And that's rare for me. I'm usually right on the side with you where, you know what, as lazy as it might be for the for the committee to think this way, college football sort of works itself out, right? So most weeks, it's not that big a deal. Whatever it is, by the end of the year, it'll work itself out. Not that much panic. But last night, I'm watching as the rankings came out, and we didn't see a bunch of wholesale change. The one thing we knew is Michigan State would, lose after lose, uh, would fall after losing to unranked Purdue. What I didn't expect is that they fell – Below Michigan, your beloved Michigan, <laughs> since one spot ahead of Michigan State, even though two weeks ago, Michigan State beat Michigan. It's the first time that I've ever looked at it and thought honestly, because I have been the person that fights on Twitter every time somebody says, oh, they're just doing this to create conversation or they're just trying to like conspiracy theorists on what they're trying to align. Last night was the first time I looked at Mike Golick Jr. at the end of the broadcast and said, the only thing I can explain in my head is that they just wanted to make us yell and scream. It's the only way you can put a team below another team when two weeks ago they proved it on the field. 
Yeah, it was very confusing. But this had me wondering, and I, I'm glad I host with you because I can always pick your brain for the intricacies of this. You follow it so closely, you remember these examples. So I wanted to play this for you from Heather Dinich because it relates to the question I'm about to ask you. She was on with KJ and Max this morning, and here's what she said about the Big Ten and these teams working themselves out. This is going to sort itself out. Somebody else is going to pick up a second loss, obviously. So um, what we see right now from the committee is that the Big Ten is in a good spot. Even Michigan State fans, chillax for a minute, okay? Because if you run the table and you win the Big Ten and finish as a one-loss conference champion, then you're in. A one-loss Big Ten champion is in the way we look at this, the CFP rankings right now, regardless of the head-to-head. Okay. So this is my question for you, because I understand the frustration and it makes sense both when I hear it'll all work itself out. So that's why I'm always like, hey, why do people get so mad about this stuff? It all comes out in the end. These rankings don't mean anything, but they do in the sense that if you're going to use the rankings of each week to then decide how people are ranked later. okay, well, their loss was to this team and they were in the top five at that time and their loss was to this team and they were unranked. These decisions then really do make a difference. So is it as simple as saying it'll work itself out or does it matter now the way that they're choosing to elevate and lower various teams in terms of what those wins will then mean in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think it does matter. And it also matters to try and figure out the mindset of this group of people. That's one thing every every year I'm trying to figure out. Because you're right, Purdue beat Michigan State, and now they find themselves ranked. So the, certainly there's a, a better argument to be made for Purdue. But what I look for is consistency. And without getting everybody's eyes and ears to gloss over going over this, the thing for me that really hits is that Oregon lost earlier this year to a bad Stanford team. Now, Oregon also beat Ohio State. So now, Ohio State and Oregon feel like they're tethered together at the rankings. Even though Ohio State's playing better today, right now, than Oregon, Oregon is ranked ahead of Ohio State. Why? They played each other, and we know who won. And in fact, Mm. if we want to take the argument of you lost to an unranked team, well, Baylor this week lost to unranked TCU, for which they fell one spot in the rankings, leaving some conspiracy theorists to think that Baylor and Oklahoma State are being highly ranked so that Oklahoma can eventually get those wins, to your point, to later move up in the rankings. These are the things that continually get legs in the conspiracy theory conversation when a committee is at its core inconsistent. How can you drop Michigan State this far for losing when their loss is to a better team than Oregon lost to and you're you're dropping them below a Michigan team they just beat Two weeks ago, that's why Pollock kept saying last night, you know, if only we'd let these guys settle it on the field. Wait, they did two (laughs) weeks ago. And I can't get that out of, like, similar resumes, I can't get that out of my head. Now, Gary Barta, the CFP chairman, was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night and and answered the tough conversation about consistency. Speaking of eyes glazing over, and no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes when you listen to the explanations for this, you're like, I've been talked into a circle. I forgot the question I asked, but either way, I'm more confused than when you started. Yeah, well, and and I will also, let me just defend Gary for a second. Now that I've been hard on the whole committee, I cannot imagine having to stand up every single week and and defend a bunch. Like, I've got to feel like Gary was sitting in the room when they decided Michigan was ahead of Michigan State, and he just looked at him. He's like, really? Really? You're going to make me sit in front of a microphone over and over and over again and answer mm. questions about this decision? And, and defend being, what is right. the, what appears to be indefensible because it's all based on subjectivity. 
I mean, Heather Dinich, but uh, we love Heather, right? You played her audio earlier. Heather, yeah. one of the smartest people we have here. She actually tweeted out right after the decision, guys, I have no idea and don't <laughs> ask me to explain it. So the first thing I tried to do was ask her to explain it last right. night. And she was like, that's why I was tweeting you. Uh, Gary Barta was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. This is what he said about consistency with the rankings. Yeah, the, the consistency is we, we use the same information. We use head-to-head. We use wins and losses. We use common opponents. Uh, we use the, the statistics. Uh, we, we've watched the games. The consistency is that every week, 13 people who have been uh, invited to be on this committee watch the games uh, in great detail. And, and by design, that's subjective. By design, you're getting the opinions of 13 different people who pay close attention and watch the games. And so each week, uh, that same group comes to the table using the same set of information. But every week, there's a new, there's a new group of data. Uh, we had eight teams from this, this last week's top 25 who lost. So we said simultaneously, we had new data, but also we're just human beings standing in front of America, asking them to accept our football rankings. Like, he basically was just like, I don't actually have an explanation. We just have a bunch of people, and by the very measure of how we design this, they're allowed to decide what they saw. And that's the maddening part, Sarah. Like, to me, I understand we had new data, but the part I can't make sense of is why that data is being given different weight in different weeks. Like, be consistent if, okay, I understand that they're walking in, and, like, as somebody that likes to cook, sometimes I'll walk in and I'll just open the pantry and say, what do I have? And I know that that can be a little different, but at the end of the day, if I'm trying to replicate the same recipe every week, and that's what these are, like the same recipe in some some sense, how is it possible that one week, given the same list of ingredients, one week I'm using a ton of garlic, and the next week I'm not using any? Like, it's so... So subjective this year that I can't wrap my head around it. Yep. I'm going to agree with you on that. And that's why as each week passes, I say to everyone, I understand that part of the fun of all of this, and I'm putting that in real heavy quotation marks is that you get to argue about it week in and week out. And then the only one that matters is at the end, but the frustration is real for teams whose rankings now might affect whether or not they're able to be buoyed into the top four at the end. Yeah, that it, it's maddening, but you're right. It does give me a job, so I do appreciate it. All right, coming up, one of the most amazing sports stories I've heard all year. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We will get back to the Mo Bros versus the Joe Bros and, of course, how some milkshake ducking came around to ruin our fun again, but we're going to save that for later. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including our next guest, longtime columnist for the LA Times, my adversary on Around the Horn, and an acclaimed author whose new book is out. It's Bill Plaschke, brought to you by Goodyear, with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Bill, congrats on the Around the Horn win today, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, You can't call me an adversary, because that, that would, that would uh, say that, that we actually compete. You, you steamroll me every, every day, Spain. I that is no, fair. I that have no fair. shot against you. It I, is not I, a Bill, I'm used to that. I, 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 I am not your adversary. Welcome to my life. Like I'm used to it. You know, she's yes. she's the best, and I'm just trying not to screw it up. That's basically it. <laughs> you guys are too nice. Also, I'm very scary, yeah, so yeah. I understand. No, no, and also, I want to 
I want to be doing a radio show when you write your your big book, Sarah. I'm looking you, you forward to it. You've got to write a book. You know I'm, that. I'm, you know wor- that. I'm working on it, Bill. Unlike you, my book pitch and movie pitch are still in the makings, whereas yours have been not only uh, approved, but the book is done, and I think the movie is in the works, right? So let's talk about Paradise, yes, Find, uh, Paradise Found, the high school football team's rise from the ashes. This started as a column for you. Tell us that part of it and then how you realized that this needed to be bigger and more than that. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks. Again, I'm, I'm honored to be on. Yeah, so in 2018, November, uh, the campfire swept through Paradise, California, a town of 28,000 people, and decimated the city, just leveled it. It went from 28,000 to 2,000. Everybody lost their homes. Mm. People had to, 86 people lost their lives. People had to, were sent driving down through the flames to try to get out of the fire. It's all on, on YouTube. It was an incredible thing. So I heard, but one, one structure survived, and that was the high school and the high school football stadium. And, and it, that's always been the anchor for the community anyway, the high school football team, the Paradise Bobcats. So I, I, about three months later, somebody called me and said, you know, they're going to try to play football next year. I said, but they have no school. He said, well, they're going to try to play football. I said, they have no team because all the kids had, had lost their, their homes and the coaches had lost their homes. They said, they're going to try to play football, come up here and, and check it out. So, I, so for the LA Times, I flew up to Paradise and met with the coach, and he's in this makeshift warehouse about 20 miles out of paradise where, the, where this, they were having school because the school, the whole town was locked. The whole town was burned to the ground except for the, the high school. So nobody could go in the city. So they're all out, out there and they're, they're on a practice. Their practice field is a overgrown, weedy, weed choked, uh, grass, uh, glass strewn, garbage filled field near this warehouse. And he had 20 kids and he said, okay, we're going to start. We're going to have football this year because the town needs football. Yeah. And we need football. We need each other. So let's have practice. It's said, fine. Then they realized the first practice, they didn't have a football. They didn't even have a football. The coach said, by the way, anybody have a football? Nobody huh. had one. They, all their equipment had burned. All their pants and their shoes and their equipment and their helmets had all burned. They had nothing. And yet they're going to start a, start a, restart a team, try to resurrect uh, you know, the, the, the conscience of this community. And I said, that this is a story. I want to be part of this story. I fell in love with these kids. And so I followed their journey as they rebuilt the team, came back to the town, kind of helped resurrect the city and try to, you know, reinvigorate the town, playing their games in this, in this solitary football field surrounded by burnt, complete leveled burnt trees, you know, you know, leveled vacant lots, burning cars, all that stuff. And it was an incredible season. And they went undefeated in regular season. And if you read the book, you find out what happened. It, it was an incredible <laughs> journey. So, Bill, when you're talking about football, we always hear about how it takes so much focus to play the game at a high level. And it's impossible, given everything going on in life, for these kids to be focused. How were they able to be so successful? Because it was the only thing that they had that was normal. The kids kept telling me, this is our normal. This is what. This is the only thing. They're living in trailers and farm in, in empty farmlands 30 miles away. They're living, they're sleeping on floors. They're sleeping in cars. They're wearing donated clothes. They've lost, they've, they've literally lost everything. Their parents, some of their parents moved out of town. And so the kids came back and, and live with friends, live with distant relatives. So they had, they had and they, they had the, 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 there was no place to eat in town. So the, the food was there. There's nowhere to eat. There's no, no place for food. So they get dressed in the parking lot, sleep in the parking lot. So all they had was football, and that's all they had was, was, was each other. And so this is what they clung to. 
and it was amazing. It showed me the power of sports and the power of team sports and the power of togetherness and the house football could be such a fabric for the town. And they, you know, they would, they would like after, after one game, I said, one of the games, the first games they won, I asked one of the kids, is this your dream? He said, no, my dream would be to go home to my house, mm. but they had no house. So they, they built up, they went to the whole summer and they, the, 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 they had 101 kids in the program that before the fire, they were cut down to 20. And then a few more came back. They ended up with 30 kids. They had the first game back and on August 23rd. That's like six months after the fire. 5,000 people drove in from all over Northern California to see this game. People crying, hugging. The game ended. They won the game. The fans came on the field. It was like a reunion. It was like a resurgence. It was like a rebirth. And these kids, and what, what, what really struck me was how violent these kids were on the field. They took all their anger at what had happened to them and all the loss of control they had over their lives, and they took it out on the opponents. There was late hits. There was massive hits. There was, you, you could hear the hitting from the side. I mean, you could hear the hitting from the stands. It was so brutal. And the whole season was like that. These kids just flying around out there, and the coach couldn't control it. He said, because they're just so angry at life. This is where they take out their feelings. This is where they can be themselves. This is where they get their frustrations. It was very talking compelling. To, talking to Bill Plaschke, longtime LA Times columnist here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, he's on the Goodyear hotline. You've written five books, and you've obviously um, taken a lot of time throughout your career. You came on my podcast and talked about it, seeking out stories of maybe the things that aren't as often covered you know, you've been columnist of the year eight times by by the AP. So you've seen it all. You've written about it all. But most of the books that you've written have been biographies or a collection of columns. This is a story that you had to sort of embed yourself with, but also one that I imagine was in- incredibly difficult to live with day in and day out because of the loss experience, because of the sadness, especially for young people. When you chose to write about this long form, um, was the experience of spending time with them at what you expected? No, it was really hard. Sir, you're going to find this out when you write your great book. Is that <laughs> if and, and, and as and as told to, and I and I can tell tell you already know this. And as told to, a lot easier. Uh, as uh, by an autobiography with someone, a lot easier to have to live it and breathe it and be with these kids who all were suffering from PTSD. By the way, they're all they're all racked with, you know, horrible feelings and, and anger and emotions and to have to live with it is really hard. And then they have to come back and try to write it and do justice to their story. And, and I mean, you, you, you're always doing this in your, in your columns for ESPN, Sarah. You look for the stories in the shadows. Right. And, of course, your greatest story was the greatest story in the shadow, the one you wrote. So um, it's, that's, that's kind of what, it, what these kids were. These kids were in their shadows. And I wanted to bring it to life. And it was very, yes, it was, oh, it was really hard. It was emotionally a wreck. It took me a year to write it. I mean, it's re- and it was just there day after day, sitting there. I'd get, you know, I couldn't sleep. I'd get up and it was there on the computer. You got to write 5,000 more words on some kid trying to escape a fire with driving by, you know, kid with his, his license for one month, driving a truck down through a wall of flames. On, an, on eight hours of, in, in the car in the, in the middle of a, of a burning forest. Yeah, and you have to write that every day. It was really hard. And that experience, and I, I did it for the challenge. I wanted to challenge myself, and it was really, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. 
but I think the kids needed to be honored in this way and their struggles need to be honored in this way and their what they went through what the town went through I mean just imagine imagine even today I was up there about a month ago there's still no town you know the coach and I wanted to go get dinner after we were on the today show and we wanted to go get dinner seven o'clock nothing was open except for Taco Bell and even then there was only the drive-thru the town is still decimated I mean it, it just wiped everything out and yet they still play football yeah, to your point, it's hard to imagine a town of 25,000 in one day going to 2,000, and that's the reality there. And then to come together around football, there are so many times when sports enable the worst in us, but there are often also so many times that it brings people together in really powerful ways. This, of course, one of those. The book is called Paradise Found, A High School Football Team's Rise from the Ashes. Bill Plaschke, the author, you can order it now, you can buy it now, you can read it now, and you should do so. Bill, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. I'm, I'm so honored and flattered. Thanks, guys. Have fun. See you. The great Bill Plaschke. I do like defeating him on Around the Horn, but I also like competing with him. He's a wonderful person, and I'm sure that's a great, great book. And like I said, already optioned into becoming a movie. So a, a great story worth telling. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive. Com. Coming up, how have we made it 45 minutes into the show without even mentioning the NFL? It's impressive. We're going to end the streak next. NFL Quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, it's been a wild day. It's been a crazy day. You know how it's been a crazy day, Sarah and I have managed to break every rule at ESPN by going 45 minutes into the show without talking about the NFL. So it feels like we have to fix that, and we have to do that as quickly as possible. The best way we can do that, since (laughs) there's so much NFL news to get to, is by doing it the way only this show can with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Now, we will start with a serious note out of the NFL as Dalvin Cook yesterday was uh, all over social media. The conversation about allegations that he has made about uh, domestic abuse that he has suffered. But now we've also seen pictures from the other side of this as we have a massive issue at this point trying to figure out Dalvin Cook's role and uh, his ex-girlfriend's role in what has obviously been a very violent situation. Dalvin Cook of the Vikings today addressed the, the reports in the media. This is what he said. I know it's a lot of questions about the reports and the things that came out yesterday. I just want everybody to know, you know I'm, the, I'm the victim in the situation. And, you know, the truth and the details about the situation will come out at a further time. And any further questions, I can ask my agent, my attorney, and, you know, that'll be all. Now, yesterday, Sarah, we should point out that there were two very different stories to what's happened and how we got here. So, obviously, still a lot to be sorted out in a very violent situation. Yeah, and I would just say we have a lot of information that's yet to come out. And what often happens is the first story that people hear is the one that they believe sometimes, right? And it is in different interest for the player versus the accuser to have the story out. So um, taking into consideration all of the reasons that people might have for what they make public and who does it and what they say, I think it's best to wait on more information. Um, But it is always necessary to offer up not only the account that Cook's lawyer made, but also the account of the accused, including the photographs and everything else, 
and to consider them, even when you're making opinions in your own head, while you wait for the real information to come out. I, I think it's important quickly to, to point out, too, that this show, if you've ever listened to it for the couple of years we've worked together, has been consistent in being as patient as possible to rush to any mm -hmm. sort of judgment in these issues. That's something we've always done. We may not be the first to yell about it, but we will yell about it when the time is right and when the, when we know what to yell about. Uh, so I'll double down on what Sarah just said, too. Let's get the information before we decide anything uh, on where we are with it. Next up on the quickie story, we'll stay heavy for a second because it's day of the week, which means Aaron Rodgers spoke. In fairness, it's the day he usually speaks to <laughs> Pat McAfee, and he was on the Pat McAfee show where Pat asked him specifically who else he considered he consulted, I should say, when it comes to the doctors he talked to about COVID besides Dr. Joe Rogan. This was Aaron Rodgers' <laughs> response. I definitely talked with about uh, a dozen friends of mine who dealt with COVID, and they all were very helpful in different ways. Joe being one of them, uh, but but again, that's that's a society we're in. Again, I have no judgment. This is, you know, hate is not going to uh, bring us out of this pandemic. It's going to be connecting and 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 love. And I'm not going to hate on anybody that has said said things about me. You know, I believe everybody is entitled to their opinion. I always will believe that. Okay, real quick, because there's a lot of sound from Aaron today, and we can't play all of it, nor can we address all of it, nor should we. I just have to quickly point out his response of that's the society we're in, as if not only did I just talk to Joe Rogan, but I talked to a dozen friends who had it. Not a dozen doctors, not a dozen epidemiologists, not a dozen experts in anything. I'm laughing at the response that I got because it's ridiculous that people would criticize me for talking to Joe Rogan. I didn't just talk to him. I talked to a bunch of other people that have nothing to add except for anecdotal experience. And hate is not going to bring us through this, but neither is love. Science is. He said connecting and love will get us through this. Actually, distancing. Distancing and <laughs> science will get us through this. And God, I, I just, ugh, the, the, the woe is me, everyone's against me, woke mob, this is, you know, is so exhausting from someone who literally did his own research and tried to prevent, present 500 pages of crap to the NFL against all of the experts and people out there who've been doing this their whole lives. And this is the guy who always says the media want to talk about football and none of them play it or know what they're talking about, but he is wanting to be a doctor and a scientist all in one and he's spreading misinformation and then he's playing the victim. It's exhausting. And so is the NFL's response to it because Fitz, you can spend all the money you want on protocols. You could try to encourage the players to get vaccinated in the, in the, in the pursuit of money. But what you've revealed by the way that you treated Aaron Rodgers which is by finding him less than you're finding people for their socks, is that you don't actually care about safety. You don't actually care about all the people who have bought in on the way you decided and announced that you were going to run things, all the media that unknowingly put themselves in danger. You don't actually care about that. You care about the money, and now you care about not alienating one of your star players. Yeah, star player is such a big part of this, and I heard one of the, uh, one of the analysts on, I think it was Get Up Today, reference the fact that you know, Kirk Cousins, we, we're not talking about his vaccination status every day. Carson no, Wentz, we're not, not talking easily. about his vaccination. Nope. It's, not, it's not about those portions of the conversation. Also, loudly and proudly, I'll say to everybody, it's not about canceling anybody. It's about accountability for standing up and trying to lie to everybody throughout this process. I don't think that that's a, a difficult or hot take in this process. I still love, though, that finally, to give Pat credit, he did ask some direct questions. Aaron Rodgers just didn't answer any of them. Mm -hmm. Spain and Fitch brought to you by Cross Country Mortgage. Proud to honor those who served our 
our nation, veterans and armed service members, we salute you. We continue with quickies on Spain and Fitz. Quickies. And this time, quickies goes to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max this morning as they talked about the best quarterback on the Jets roster. Is it possible, Sarah, that the best quarterback on their roster is not the guy we all thought would be the starter this year? This is what they said. I believe that he will be the best quarterback the Jets have on their roster for this season because when you look at what he was doing in Indianapolis prior to his injury, he certainly looked like one for keepings, and he found his groove and his niche as the backup to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson will be the starter eventually because of the money. Okay, so the end result is still that Zach Wilson is your starter. He alleges because of the money. Meanwhile, Greeny today was saying completely the opposite, that he needs Robert Sala to stop even acknowledging that there's a QB battle. The answer to the question, who is your quarterback, the long-term quarterback decision is Zach Wilson. That's it. That's the answer to the question. Zach is hurt. Mike White will play. When Zach is healthy, he's my quarterback again. That's the answer to the question. You don't have to mean it. You just have to say it. I feel like Sala is such an honest guy. He just seems like a nice person. And I think he's just answering the question honestly, but I think this is a situation in which honesty is not the best policy. Well, and starting Mike White is not the best policy if Zach Wilson's healthy at any point, Sarah, to me, because the one thing you had to know when you drafted Zach was that you were drafting somebody that needed reps. I mean, he needs opportunities to figure out how to play at the pro level. Like, sitting on the bench isn't going to help somebody that didn't get a ton of reps at BYU against top-level competition. Like, he gets better being on the field. The longer they keep Mike White in, they might win a few more games here, Long, but long-term, they're stunting the development of the person that needs those opportunities. You're so right, and it's not to say that necessarily Zach is better, but you decided when you elected not to have a veteran backup and when you decided to have Zach Wilson out there from day one that this was going to be about a learning season and you can't go back on that halfway through yeah and by the way the more they learn while their quarterback uh, stinks the higher the draft pick is for next year like it's win-win at this go point sell we off know Mike the White to sell can... get some uh, yeah exactly that that could probably happen all right coming up Josh Allen joins us yeah the real Josh Allen the great Josh Allen <laughs> the Josh Allen next Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and the ESPN app you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, superstar Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our superstar guests Superstar Jason the, Fitz. Well, I, you know, it, it's alliterative with you, though. It works better that way. You know, superstar Sarah Spain, uh, you know, I don't know. Jackass Jason Fitz. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. That's probably, that, that, that feels right for so many, so many <laughs> obvious reasons. Uh, we're going to get you caught up on everything you need to know. Uh, but really, realistically, see, I can't even use my words. One of the biggest headlines <laughs> from NFL Week 9 was the Jags upsetting the Bills thanks to a huge week for Josh Allen against Josh Allen. Highlights courtesy of the Bills Radio Network. Snap to Josh. Fakes the handoff. Steps up in the pocket. He is hit. He is dropped. Josh Allen sacked by Josh Allen. First time that's ever happened with a man with the same name as Zach a quarterback with the same name. Pressure coming again. Josh in trouble. Gets rid of it. Fires it down the middle. Picked off. Intercepted by uh, Josh Allen. Fumble. Josh dropped it. Let's see who's got it. He dropped the ball. Looks like the Jaguars are celebrating. No single yet. They do. It is Jacksonville football. Josh Allen nailed Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the linebacker for Jacksonville, stripped them and came up with the football. 
We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Jags linebacker Josh Allen, joins us. Josh, we were just listening to the calls. I mean, you get the interception, the sack, the force fumble, the holy trifecta of that. Have you gone back and watched that moment when you see all of that greatness in one game? How's it feel? Oh, man, it was just an unbelievable moment uh, for my for my career, for myself, and for my team, man. Uh, but just to be in the history, you know, something in the – National Football League uh, is just unbelievable, and hopefully I can make some more history here soon. But I mean, not here soon, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it was just a cool, surreal moment, man, and uh, just can't take those moments for granted. I know that. There was a lot of Josh Allen versus Josh Allen conversation, more so after the game, because I don't know that anybody could have expected not only the results of the game, but your dominance in that game. Did you happen to see the Jordan meme where it's your face on Michael Jordan and it's all about how people yeah. call him the real Josh Allen and you took that personally? Did you ever think about that before this game? Like, man, why are they always calling him the the, the real Josh Allen instead of me? Um, it, it wasn't even like, yeah, it's a little weird sometimes. Like, some, it depends on who you're talking to or who you're hearing from. You know what I'm saying? It can make it a little bit weirder than others. But me, it was just more of like, just a respect thing, you know what I mean? Like, both seven overall picks, you know what I'm saying? He, he took off a little bit, but I took off too. So, it was like, just, just a little respect. And uh, so, hopefully, I, I feel like I got my point across pretty good. And, you know what I'm saying? And that now I can put people on notice. So, I mean, it's a good right. opportunity for me <laughs> again. Did you see something on film that really told you coming into the week that you could have that kind of a game? I mean, to be honest with you, it's just the way I practice. You know what I mean? I got a good feel on how I practice a couple of days before, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be a good one. So, uh, man, I just practice hard every day. And on the day that I know that, okay, this day is going to carry on to real-life game day, then I'm like, okay, I had a good practice today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I made a lot of plays today. So, so I can kind of foresee it a little bit. So not knowing how it's going to come, but I knew I was going to make plays in that game. Just to, just just the way I was feeling. So, uh, yeah. Jaguars linebacker Josh Allen with us here on Spain and Fitz. What does it mean to you to get that AFC Defensive Player of the Week honor? Uh, it's definitely a humbling experience. You know, there's a lot of guys, guys that went out this week and balled. Uh, so, you know, just to, just to have the nomination, just to be up there, man, was is just a blessing. And just winning it, man, is just you know, it's just a step to where. You know what I'm saying? In my career, that I feel like it's the next step. You know what I mean? Like, uh, where can I, where, where, where where can we go from here? You know what I mean? And it's only up. Uh, so, I'm glad I got the you know the award, but I know it's gonna be many more to come. So, it's just the first of many, and you know what I'm saying to play, play, you know, play my game. You know so. Well, Josh, one thing that I know is like it was a blast watching you play Kentucky, too, and you obviously play for a coach in Urban Meyer that at one point was the coach of Florida. Big rivalry there. Like, uh, what, What's the, the, the vibe like when you're playing for a guy with a little bit of Florida in his background, but you're a Kentucky guy? You know, you've seen it when we played him. So, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that's all I get my talking down in. I beat him. You know what I mean? I know I beat him. And now they beating them regularly, so uh, there's really not a lot to say now. But if you're talking about historically, yeah, you know, say anybody can say anything. But if you're looking at now in the last couple <laughs> of years, yeah, they, you know, 
He said scoreboard. He just he I mean, said scoreboard fence. He said I don't. I can't be bothered by that scoreboard. I never you thought know. we'd live in a world where you Kentucky know. football is like chirping, but but rightfully right. so. Like we're the program's turned around. We, That's we awesome. Made it. Uh, we're talking to Josh Allen of the Jaguars. You know, you mentioned getting the win and how good that felt. What's it like in that locker room? Because on the outside. I'll admit, like, we could take shots at a team that struggles and a team, you know, that that's having trouble getting those Ws. But this wasn't just a win. This was a massive win against a Super Bowl favorite. How do you then, you know, before that game, how do you get motivated to go out and give it your best knowing the struggles you'd had? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy because, like, that's our mentality every time we go out there. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has that fire. Everybody flies around like that. It's just when, you know what I'm saying, when you look at it, and we look at the film, it's like us being ourselves, you know what I'm saying? Us making, it, you know, critical mistakes and during a period of the game, uh, you know, so that, that loses – well, just, just that affects the game negatively for us. Uh, so, but this week, man, we were assignment sound. Uh, guys were in the right slots at the right time where they need to be, and that's what that's what happens, you know what I mean? So we just have to – we had a – this is a great taste of how when we play complement football with each other, this is what this is. This is a success we can have. We can have this every week if we really hone in to what we need to do and execute and run around to this ball. So that's what I'm saying. That's why I love this team, man. Uh, you know, we're not just out here picking games or we're going to play hard this game. We're not going. No, we go out there and try to win every game that we play, man. Yeah, score hasn't really. The record really doesn't show for that, but we're on, we're doing some things, man, and I think we're on the right track. There is a, an element for this Jags team, particularly young, and then you get Trevor Lawrence, you know, obviously he's your quarterback now, and everybody believes mm -hmm. so much in Trevor. When you got a young team sort of growing up together around a young quarterback, what, how do you guys sort of develop as a group? Just chemistry. Uh, you know, we, we, we really preach in the locker room, and in the meetings, 10 strong. You know what I'm saying? We need 10 strong. You know, every position group needs to be as strong as they can to go out there and play 10 strong and – that's how you win games. And so we, and as a D-line, we kind of grouped in, and we just been having this serious bond lately, man. I feel like our chemistry is, you know what I'm saying, far, you know, it's just like we want to play for each other. We want to do everything because we trust one another. Like we hang out all the time. Our chemistry is great, you know, and I feel like it shows. And we're just getting like that as a group, and now we're getting like that as a team. And once we all feel like that and all want to play for each other, have the trust with each other, I feel like that's when, you know what I'm saying, we're going to take the next step. You know, yeah, we have a young group, but we got a young group of guys that's out here wanting to, to, to go out there and play balls out every play. Uh, so that's what I love about this team, man. We're young, we're fiery, and we just want to, we just want to, we just want the best for, you know, our dude next to us. You know what I mean? And that's what makes it even better. You know? Talking to AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Josh Allen here on Spain and Fitz Jaguars linebacker. Before we let you go, I have to ask, you know, you talk about having to deal with, some of the losses and sticking together and stay motivated. You also had to deal with some off the field stuff with urban Meyer that really caused a lot of tension around the team and a lot of focus on whether the players were still on his side. What were the conversations like around that? And how did you weather that? Man, uh, we, you know, put a blunt, man. We really had to play football, man, you know, and, uh, you know, everybody has a lot of problems in their lives, you know, football players, coaches, GMs, fans or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, once we get here, man, it's time to move on to the next one. And, you know what I'm saying, we, we pray, we we wish no harm on nobody, 
But when everybody's here at work, you know what I'm saying, we could be dealing with stuff at home, but as soon as we hit the work, we got we to gotta lock back in. And that goes for every walk of life, or you won't be concentra- concentrated on your job. You know what I mean? So as soon as we walk in the building, we put our hard hats on, and we get ready to roll. And that was our mentality, and, uh, he, you know, he understood. And that's why, that's why we're in the position we are now. Uh, one, two out of the last three. Uh, I feel like we're, we're on a good pace to making a lot of moves, and we got to take it one game at a time. Josh, man, congrats on the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Obviously, incredibly well Thank learned. You. Congrats on the on everything going right for your career so far, man. Fun to watch from a distance. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Oh, thank you. Great stuff from him. Obviously, really excited for her success. Big ESPN week, Radio. Yeah. Yeah, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance, proud to support veterans with its annual Keys to Progress Vehicle Giveaway Program, now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. All right, look, at the end of the day, I had a really strange favorite NBA player when I was a kid, and it's somebody that Sarah knows a lot about. And now he's been speaking. I got to get her thoughts on it. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to head to some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah, I got to get your straight talk on the conversations we're hearing around Scottie Pippen. Now, I should admit openly my bias. And it's funny because everybody knows you're a Bulls fan. What a lot of people don't know, even though I grew up a Lakers fan, a very diehard Lakers fan. When I was a kid, my favorite basketball player was Scottie Pippen. And it sort of goes with the the line for me of like always the other guy. I always liked Stacey Ogman better than Larry Johnson. I like Slash better than Axel Rose, Richie Sambora better than Bon Jovi. Like yeah, you're it just more goes, of a sidekick kind of guy anyway. I am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm the other guy guy. You know that that's I that's tend to like the stars. Well. Yeah, well that is fair. Uh, you know, I've settled into that role. And it's funny because when I first started at ESPN, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but it was right after I signed my first deal to come up and I was moving up to Connecticut and there was this big all on air meeting, right? Like everybody that's on air had to be in the the gym at ESPN. We were all in the gym for this whole meeting and I walk up and I'm I'm meeting some of the people I already lightly knew, but then some of the people that I, I was becoming friends with were all hanging around and Adam Amin's there and we're all talking and Scotty Pippen just walks up. And it's one of the few times that I've ever just stood in a group where I just was quiet the whole time because I was like, that's Scotty effing Pippen. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't say anything. So, like, I have this this love in my heart for somebody yeah. that I, I watched growing up. Right. But he's somebody you know well. And he's been speaking a lot of late as he uh, continues to tell his story with the new book. And he was on Sirius XM NBA radio talking about the difference between, I don't know, playing with the flu and playing with a bad back. This is what he said. Is it easier to play with a herniated disc or to play with the flu? They always say the worst injury to have is a bad back. Well, I don't see many uh, bad back games, but I do see <laughs> flu games. Flu, come on. Okay, here's I mean, the thing. You, you loved Scotty from afar. I loved Scotty close up because my love for the Bulls was not centered solely on Michael Jordan. There were so many players that were a part of that 90s run and I, too, met Scottie Pippen a few years ago and was completely fangirling and freaking out. Um, I'm just sad, is what I am, about everything going down. He's on a media tour. He's promoting his memoir. He's promoting his alcohol. He's promoting a handful of things. He's doing kind of odd things, like an Airbnb stay at his house to watch 
of NBA playoffs. And I don't know if any of it's money driven because of a recent divorce, right? I don't know if there's money now heading to his ex, or I don't know if it's just all the bitterness from the last dance. Um, That was probably the last straw, if you will, because he always at times seemed to be accepting and frustrated by Jordan's hero worship and and idolatry and and the very best of all time being the guy right next to you getting all of the credit even when you yourself are one of the greatest of all time but he handled it really well and and their relationship always seemed close he would go out of his way at moments to post on social about how great it was that he got to to you know run alongside Jordan he would take opportunities to credit Jordan for his greatness all the time and it feels like the last dance perhaps severed whatever ties allowed him to still have those warm feelings because he's talking to anyone and everyone about what we just heard, right? Downplaying the flu game. Uh, talking about how MJ was on a pedestal in every in every episode of The Last Dance and he was, he was being dismissed. Um, to me, it's more sad than it is angering because I know how this ends. It ends with everyone still being obsessed with Michael Jordan. And those who had questions about Michael Jordan, particularly the, the rabid nature of his competitiveness and whether or not we should idolize that as a means to an end or whether they won in spite of the way he treated his teammates. That's a conversation I'm willing to have as much as I'm a sycophant for Jordan. I understand that people could be divided on that. And I understand why some people don't like Jordan. I get it. But in the end, you're not going to hear Scottie Pippen or read his book and then say, you know what? He's right. He was just as good a player, which is something he said. You're, you're not going to say, oh, he should have gotten more credit for the back game during which he managed to at least try to get in there and be a decoy because Jordan still had 45 points and made the championship shot yet again in the flu game, whether you want to respect the flu or not. In the end, it's just sad to me because like so many things, instead of being able to look back and continue to enjoy them and to remark as we did throughout the last dance about how incredible it was that they managed to stick together through all of the ups and downs, through all of the frustrations, through all of the things and the moments where Scotty was not the guy that he should have been. The fact that they pushed through that to win as much as they did was incredible. And I want to remember it that way. And as with most things, including in Chicago, the Blackhawks run that we are now mourning and wondering whether we could still celebrate in the same way due to all the information coming out. Instead, now we're looking back at this and thinking about all the division, and that sucks. And it makes me sad for Scotty that he can't just be happy for all of his successes. I think the hardest part of what you just said, the thing that really hits home is that you're not going to change anybody's mind, right? And so when you're not going to change anybody's mind, at some point you have to have peace with your own legacy. And that legacy is a beautiful one for Scotty Pippen, you know, and, and – that's difficult because what do you do when your legacy is spectacular but not the best ever and you played with the guy whose legacy is arguably the best literally ever. I the mean, best ever. I mean yeah. that, that that makes it so much difficult but at some point you have to have peace in the shoes that you stand in and I just don't know what is ever going to create that for Scottie Pippen and if the the approach that he's trying now is an attempt at that it's a failed one because there's no way you're going to change anybody's mind and all you're doing in the process is giving people more reason to roll their eyes at what was a really incredible career that's the the sort of downer for it for me like this is the time if you're going to celebrate your memoirs then sarah i would celebrate it frankly by celebrating everything great that you did in accordance with and alongside with jordan instead of making about one or the other agreed and also worth noting if this has anything to do with money 
you might make a little bit right now more than you would by getting people to want to read this memoir and this, you know, smear attack. But in the end, you're missing out on a lot more opportunities for people to still associate you in a really positive, warm way with that run, with Jordan. You know, going out and doing press for that stuff now is not going to hit the same way knowing what he's been saying now. And so future, you know, financial opportunities might be affected by deciding to burn these bridges now. And if this is his truth and he needs to get it out, so be it. It's not on us to to, to say do what makes us happy, but it is disappointing. And it's sad for me that he can't be happy. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. You're absolutely right that at the end of the day, uh, it's not for us to tell him how to live his life or his story, but at the end of the day also – I just look at somebody that I've I'd idealized as a kid and say, man, I wish he had as much respect for his career, obviously, and comfort with it as I do. All right, coming up, one trailblazer in the NFL that's changing everything we all in front of our eyes. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'm guessing that our next guest's ears were burning during the ESPNW Summit when we were singing her praises when I was talking to Kelly Klein of the Vikings, who is one of the many folks who have benefited from Sam Rappaport taking over diversity and inclusion at the NFL. She is now the senior director of diversity and inclusion at the league, creating a pipeline for women that has manifested across the league in women in training positions, coaching positions. Um, and we saw it, especially with that Super Bowl winning Buccaneers staff that had women up the wazoo. We love having her around here and we get more of her because of a new podcast. It's Sam Rappaport. <laughs> Sam, thanks for joining the show. Sarah, thank you for having me back. I love this show. All right, earning it, the NFL's forward progress. First of all, great name, only done better by the uh, description being the women breaking grass ceilings instead of glass. I love it. Uh, tell <laughs> us about that. the podcast and why did you feel inspired to uh, to join uh, the very few people who have who have uh, elected to make a podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, I'm not a podcast host by trade. I'm not a media person. Uh, Jane Skinner Goodell, whose husband is Roger Goodell. Uh, called me up one day and said, you know, I have this idea. Don't say no. Just hear me out. And, you know, she came, but, you know, she came to me with the idea of chronicling the progress that we've seen. So not only so young girls and women in this country, you know, can, can, can see the representation and follow along on the progress, but anyone in this country and, and frankly in the world can apply some of the, um, some of the, uh, efforts that we have executed through the program, and we're hoping that it makes an impact for that reason. You said uh, apply some of the efforts. W what's your hope and goal in doing that? Yeah, so we really spill the secret sauce for how we <laughs> how we achieved progress in this space in a short period of time. Um, you know, we're not, but we're not patting ourselves on the back. Really, we've planted the seed. We're just starting to see the fruits of our labor. We have a long way to go. But the things that we discuss on this podcast, and it's not sugarcoated, right? We get into the challenges. We get into, um, you know, the, the peek behind the curtain of how we achieve this because, you know, Jane and I really want other industries to be able to listen to this and say, you know, if I don't have gender parity, then can I pull anything from this to begin to achieve that? And I, I really hope it has that effect. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Sam Rappaport, one of our faves from the NFL. She is the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the League. For those who aren't familiar, and they must not be regular listeners to this or my podcast because we've certainly gone over it, but <laughs> I, 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 you mentioned the secret sauce, and so much of it feels 
obvious and yet it hasn't been employed in many other places, which is to say that you've created a pipeline, not just by your women in football forum, but but actually making sure to fully vet the participants. So if they get offered a job that day, they are ready to hit the ground running. So can you explain to people how you perfected sort of the format so that it was the most beneficial, not just to the people applying, but to the coaches and, and front offices that are looking to hire? No question. So there's two components to it, right? There is vetting the people so you have the right people in the room because gender aside, if you have people that are not ready for the job, you know, the effort won't work. So half of the secret sauce really is vetting the folks to make sure they're ready to go. The other half, which is a really simple concept that anyone can implement, is get people in a room with people who could potentially hire them and put them together in organic situations, right? Not panels all day, right? Breakout sessions, uh, happy hours, coffee hours, and just have them talk. And we do that every year for two days at the NFL Combine. And the result of that is the women end up getting jobs on their own, some of them on the spot. This year, Coach Rivera and Coach McDermott pretty much offered two of the participants jobs on the spot. And, you know, that, that's the idea behind it is get them in a room, allow them to enter in the front door instead of trying to find that side door and back door that we've been looking for for years. Sam, one of the things I think that's interesting about representation is the empowerment it, it creates for future generations. How long does it take in your mind for what's happening right now to generationally break through to young women to know that their level of involvement in the game can be higher? It's already started, really. You know, we I talk a lot about if you set the tone at the top, it trickles down to all levels, and that's important to us, right? So something we've seen is, you know, young girls dressing up as Sarah Thomas, the NFL down judge, who was the <laughs> down judge at the Super Bowl this year for Halloween, right? We're seeing young girls dress up as NFL coaches for Halloween and for career days, right? I get emails from parents and uh, and my friends, and that's that's the reality of what's happening is now they can see themselves on the sidelines, so they feel as though they belong in the sport. And if you want to get down to the core of what my passion is, I want especially women, but all marginalized groups, to feel connected to this sport if they love it as much as I do, as much as Jane does, and as much as, as you two do. It's Fane and Fitz. We're talking to Sam Rappaport of the NFL. She has a new podcast, Earning It, the NFL's Forward Progress. You can get it wherever you find your podcasts. Episode one is Commissioner Roger Goodell. It's, it sounds like it's a two-parter or multi-parter, but the first part, you managed to make the commissioner cry. Uh, first, I need to yeah. hear about that. And then also, who else can we expect to hear from? Absolutely. So, Sarah, let me tell you, the first episode, uh, Commissioner Goodell broke down. And, you know, I knew that it was a sensitive subject with him. We spoke about his mother who passed away, who died of breast cancer. And so, obviously, that's not a laughing matter by any stretch and something that, you know, actually kind of hit me hard when I saw him cry. He was right next to me, and I, I just grabbed his hand. That was kind of my instinct because, you know, I was, I was upset that I made him cry, to be honest. But in episode two, which I'm super excited for, we find out what else makes Commissioner Goodell cry. And yeah. let me tell you, I'm still getting over it. My mind is still blown about it. You are not going to believe what makes Commissioner Goodell cry on a regular basis. So you'll, you'll hear about that in the second episode. That's the part that was the most shocking. And um, I assume Sarah ooh, Thomas is among the guests, too, because she's awesome. I'm, I finally got to meet her in person, and we're, we're making plans to try to figure out to hang out outside of the football season because she's so cool. Oh, she's such a badass. We spoke for hours, really. And 
you know, we got, we got into it, right. We talked about, um, you know, a certain component about her hair, which was really interesting because I don't know if you or anyone noticed, but in the first couple of seasons when we had only one female official, she tucked her hair up in her hat, like up in it. So you really couldn't tell she had any hair. And we talked about the evolution and how it happened and why it happened that Sarah now, you know, officiates as herself with her big blonde ponytail because that's who she is, right? And inclusion is not about women acting as men. It's Mm -hmm. about people acting as themselves in their profession. And when you hear her tell the story, it actually is quite remarkable that it sounds so trivial to talk about hair, but it actually was a really important component of the podcast in that discussion. Powerfully said by you, by the way, uh, I, I, I when you have such you. A, a important topic ahead of you and so many opportunities for great guests, how do you guys sort of figure out the direction for your episodes and where you want the show to go? Uh, you know, we know our objective with it. We want we want to be honest and we want to share the truth behind how all of this happened. And so we spoke to, you know, trailblazers in the game and just all around amazing people. If you look at Coach Kevin Stefanski, uh, Darcy glazer Cassowitz, Kim Pagula, Sean McDermott, Ron Rivera, Jennifer King. You know, we spoke to uh, a lot of them. And actually, interestingly, we spoke to Callie Brownson, who's the chief of staff for the coaching staff of the Cleveland Browns, who's one of my best friends. And, you know, the, the, the fortunate side of being her best friend is I, I called her the night before and I'm like, we're not holding back. Okay. So <laughs> I'm asking you the real questions. And, and she was like, go for it. So we got into, you know, her DUI that she had in May and we go deep on her DUI and her upbringing, which was not an easy upbringing. And, you know, she truly is a story of resilience and someone who is succeeding and has been set back so many times in her life. And her story, even right now, is kind of giving me goosebumps. But we went in with Callie. It was a pretty cool interview. Sounds like the guest list of uh, Spain and Fitz Game Changers segment. I think we've had yeah. every one of those people. We're nailing it. <laughs> Props to our producer, Stush, on finding the good people. We're talking to Sam Rappaport. She's the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the NFL and has a new podcast, Earning It, the NFL's Forward Progress. Um, I'm so excited for the guests that you mentioned, the storytelling and the honesty, because one of the things that I sometimes struggle with is asking people to really give up the, the worst of it the struggles, the people who have stood in their way. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to complain. They don't want to sound like they're complaining or blaming anyone for, for the, you know, what they had to get through to make it. But that's so important for other women to hear, to know that they're not alone in facing those things. So I imagine your relationships with these people will really allow that to come to the forefront. We got to let you go, but I have to ask, uh, who's the most interesting person that you've heard from across the sports landscape wanting to pick your brain for that secret sauce you talk about, learn about the forum or other things? Ooh, great question. Well, I think the most recent was someone from Aussie, Aussie Rules Football reached out to me and said, <laughs> we want to do this. Uh, can you talk to me? And you know, it was it. kind of interesting that someone from across the world, you know, uh, was reading about our impact and watched our videos and wanted to replicate it. And we are so an cool. open book. There are There is no intellectual property with this. If you want to learn about it, call me and let's talk about it. This is way bigger than football. So cool. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm so excited to listen to it. I've got a road trip this weekend. It is going to be on the radio. So thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Good luck with the pod. Thanks, Sam. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it so much. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So I woke up today to a story in the soccer world that I thought was going to be the wildest thing I saw today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Earlier this season, my soccer team, the Chicago Red Stars, went down to Louisville. I brought a group of 15 down for my birthday. We partied. We went to some games. There was a tournament, and it was Red Stars. It was the Louisville NWSL team, and it was Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich. 
So we watched this PSG team, these badass women, take on the the you know international and national competition. Impressive. Stayed you know st- saw them at the hotel, saw them wander around. Just seems like a regular old soccer team. As it turns out, not so much because Fitz, one of the players on Paris Saint Germain, Amanita Diallo, has been arrested for an alleged attack on her own teammate. Kira Hamrui, who they competed for playing time. And allegedly, they were all out to a team dinner in Paris. And as they were leaving and got to Hamrui's house, two masked men pulled her out of the car and beat her on the legs with iron bars for two minutes before fleeing the scene. All very Tanya Harding. She was taken to the hospital, had to get stitches on her legs. She is expected to recover, but she couldn't get her 100th start against Real Madrid. And Diallo was in the starting lineup before they found out that she was allegedly behind it. So she's now been arrested. And Fitz, if this ends up being proved without a shadow of a doubt, I don't think she can ever play again. What team could you possibly go to that would be willing to have you suited up alongside, not worried at all that you might get the Tanya Harding treatment? I just I just realized that there's one person that can finally have a job interview when they're asked what their biggest weakness is and they can right. say, you know what, I'm just too passionate about my right. job. Like right. we have the one person that can now I'm say too that. Too competitive <laughs> for sports. No, we don't think that's possible. Well, let me tell you a story. I mean, what the Okay, so that was what I thought was gonna be the wildest story that I read today. And I think it's still up there. It's certainly in the running. But then we started the show today talking about the beef between the Jokic brothers and the Morris brothers that all stemmed from the fact that um, Markeith Morris pushed Nikola Jokic. Jokic comes from behind with the forearm and his full body weight, sends him to the ground. Jokic is suspended. Morris gets fined. Jimmy Butler gets fined for trying to escalate the situation. And then the Joe bros, the Jokic brothers, reach out via a newly created Twitter account to start some beef with Marcus Morris, Markeith's brother, who is known to run with his brother and the two of them alone take on entire football teams. Assaults are in their past. It's, it's, you know, not guys you want to mess with. So we asked people who you got the Joe bros or the Mo bros. And the, the yo bros are absolutely destroying in the poll. 81.8% of you are going with the yo bros over the Mo bros. And some of the stories that you enlightened us with are 100% the reason for the vote to go that way. And and they might be now supplanting the soccer story as the wildest things I've heard today. One of them fits is Jokic telling in an interview that when he was a child, his older brother held his arms down and then the brothers threw knives around his head because he refused to climb a tree. And his oh response was, that was a little crazy. <laughs> just just a little crazy, right? My, I, I, I'm, I'm shooketh. Like, yes. That is, that is astounding. And also, I was unaware that one of the Yo Bros is an accomplished MMA fighter with a background in Muay Thai and other things. Like these are important details when you're talking about two six six and six eleven dudes in this fight. But in addition to that, was some of the commentary from our listeners and Twitter followers, which hilarious. So at Barricane. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to become a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, chiming in with uh, 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 as to the fight of the Yobros versus the Jobros. Depends. Are we in the U.S. or in Serbia? In the U.S., Jokic bros. 
In Serbia, I worry something happens to the Morris Bros before making it to the abandoned grain handling facility outside of town. Those Balkan states have raised some tough people. <laughs> At Brady Petrie also hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Jokic Bros for sure. Anytime you have to choose between two guys that play dirty in the NBA from time to time or two guys who threw knives at their brother's head because he wouldn't climb a tree when they were younger, you take the second option 100 times out of 100. A couple more. At Anfini1, why do I get the idea that the Jokic brothers could get weapons-grade uranium if you wanted? (laughs) (laughs) At PayFreddyNow. Morris brothers are back alley at night, scary. Jokic brothers are accidentally vacationing in the town from hostel, scary. (laughs) And then at John Dabkovic, who I presume must be Serbian based on this comment, I have said over and over, I don't want to disparage my people, but Jimmy Butler and the Morris twins don't know what they're getting into. So it feels like unanimously, no matter how wild the Mo bros are, no matter how many football teams they may have fought on their own, ain't no one touching the Joe bros. Yeah, well, and we haven't even brought the Jonas brothers into this whole equation. No, I think they, like, I mean, I would, they would be a, a, a distant third for sure. A distant, I don't think I anyone, mean, I don't think anyone's, you could give them all three. I think there might be one of those fourth ones, like the Cooper Manning of the bunch that no one really knows as well. It doesn't matter how many Joe bros you got in there, they would lose to the Yo bros and the Mo bros. Okay, that that's probably fair, but like they'd play a fun ditty during the whole. Maybe they could be it's like true. the entertainment, the entertainment side Ooh, stage, right? Yeah, well, it's happening. Right. Like, give me the Joe Bros while the Yo Bros take on the Mo Bros in a pay per view event. I'm paying for that. Like, there's Very real true. cash. Like Very six dollars. I would, I would, I'd be out for that. Which for me is the equivalent of most people's like two fifty. Also worth pointing out, by the way, and it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, that it is impossible to just have fun in sports these days because we started the show with a lighthearted commentary about whether two guys would beat the crap out of two other guys. It's just that it's the hallmark and the wheelhouse of all good sports conversation is who could beat that guy in a fight. And as it turns out, one of the yo bros was arrested on suspicion of assault for choking and pushing a woman and pled guilty to both in February 2020, a felony and a misdemeanor. So if you don't know what a milkshake duck is, I don't know if he qualifies. I don't know if we thought the really scary guy who constantly threatens his brother's opponents uh, was a good-hearted guy until he got milkshake ducked. But either way, this is another one of those instances where we just want to have a fun conversation about people fighting each other. And then reality steps in and reminds us, it's so hard, Jason, to just have fun in sports these days. The reality of everything sucks. Yeah, most people just stink. Like, you know, yeah. that's just, yeah, that's the new reality. Like, just a poly positive way for me to end it. Let yeah, us I have mean. our fun cage match discussion. By the way, speaking of discussions we were supposed to get into, there is an Arby's vodka that allegedly Junior, Mike Golick Jr., is getting a whole case of. I I, I shudder at the details of, of an Arby's vodka, and I think we're going to have to just save that for tomorrow, Fitz. I don't know if 20 seconds is enough to really dive into the details of an Arby's vodka. I'm really lost on the fact on why he gets the case of the free stuff, though. We do a much better job of drinking it during the show than he does. We do. We do drink during the show better than he does. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.